We express our praise and gratitude to Allah, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet. Alrighty, finishing off our class. Uh, we can get into the beginning of another section. Does anyone, however, have any other lingering thoughts, questions, reflections about anything? We have discussed Hamid B. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Is this the last class? This is the last class. And apparently on TikTok, there's a story that the world is ending on Sunday. So last class in a couple of ways, but none of you are in my academic classes. You all still have to turn in your papers. But yeah. Yeah. Is that your whole question? Yeah. Uh, what's my whole question? But can you expand on this on this TikTok theory now? Uh, I'll have to send I send it to my colleagues here in campus ministry saying it was a joy working with all of you. But if any of your students or my academic students, make sure that they get their papers in. Uh, there's some TikTok thing about some solar flares are, that are going to be shooting out that will have the power to disable all of our technology. And so then, you know, we won't last much longer after that. You know, especially these 20 year olds, they're definitely not going to last. But yeah, I can probably go a little bit longer. Yeah. Any I other think questions? It's supposed yeah. to be a meteor shower or something that you're we're supposed to see really well on Saturday night around like eight really? or nine p.m. Yeah. Oh, cool. oh, cool. I like meteor showers. You know that there's like a 1993, 92-ish summer. Me and a bunch of my friends we started becoming the religious types, and we'd go to our local masjid and pray fajr together. And we'd go outside, one of us go outside to give the Adhan. And I remember one time I was giving the Adhan, in the, and this was August. And I think it's the Perseid meteor shower. That was the coolest thing, doing the Adhan in the middle of a cornfield and looking above, probably not paying attention to what I was saying in my Adhan, and looking at shooting stars just while doing that. Very cool, mashallah. So. Mashallah. Was that your proof that God existed? No, my proof that God exists is my... Patience when when uh, Hamid is in my class, you know, but that is the proof of Rahma on my heart. I've mentioned to you all Hamid's uh, antics, yeah, uh, like submitting the fifty-nine page paper for his final for my Quran class, uh, which was included a full quotation of Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran. Yeah, yeah. Any case, any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Uh, speaking of uh, TikTok, uh, you mentioned something on Facebook about uh, Faith Foundation. What is that? Can you talk about oh. it? So uh, there's a student in this class who gets who gets credit for bringing up the idea. I don't know if that person wants me to um, point them out. But uh, it's a two-year class I used to teach here in Chicago. Uh, uh, three hours each Sunday for 30 Sundays for the first year. Four hours each Sunday uh, or Saturday for the second year. First hour was Quran. Um, second hour was Islamic sciences. Third hour was Islamic history. That was the first year. Second year, first hour was Quran. Same thing that you've all been getting from me. Second hour, I think, was contemporary thinkers. Third hour was uh, contemporary non-Muslim thinkers. I think, I don't remember anymore. I have to look at the syllabus. And then the fourth hour was, oh, no, no, no. 
first hour was Quran, second year, second hour was more uh, uh, Islamic uh, sciences, especially with focus on spirituality. Third hour was contemporary Muslim thinkers, and the fourth hour was contemporary uh, issues and topics, feminism, atheism, socialism, capitalism, all that stuff. With a giant final exam uh, at the end of the first year and at the end of the second year. So <clears throat> I haven't taught it in like six or seven years uh, just because the uh, attendance was dwindling. And it seemed like that became too much of a load except for the nerdy types, you know. So when I was asked to consider redoing it, then I posted on Facebook to see what people think. Yeah. I'm, I think of a variation where it's uh, three or four hours. One hour is Al-Baqarah, second hour is Ali Ibran, third hour is Surah Al-Nisa, fourth hour is Surah Al-Ma'idah. That'd be a lot more fun for me, you know. Or to do essentially what we've been doing, going through Riyadh al-Salihin, something like that, you know. Uh, think of Imam Nawawi, he gives us a complete summary of Islam in his Arba'in, so 42 narrations. And then he gives us a more thorough summary of Islam in about 2,000 narrations, and that's Riyadh al-Salihin. Yeah. Riyadh al-Salihin, uh, as far as human compilations, is the most profound book uh, uh, that I know of. Uh, I know of nothing more profound than that book by humans, but it's all hadith. But And it's, it looks, if you don't pay attention, it looks just like hadith by categories. No, he's giving you a complete picture of each topic. You know, so the first is like about intentions. He's taking all the hadith about intentions, sifting all the themes in those hadith, and then giving you, all right, here's the whole picture of, of intentions in 10 uh, narrations. And does that for like, you know, I don't know how many chapters. Most profound book uh, I think any human being has ever written. Yeah. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections about anything? Sadia. What was the name of the book again? Oh, that's just Riyadh Salihin. Uh, you're definitely, you've definitely seen it. Gardens of the Righteous. Okay, thank you. Sure. Uh, you all don't have to give me, uh, seriously, like a, a, an Eid gift. Literally, if you pay it forward by doing things, then I get that reward. That's way bigger. But anything, yeah. Anyway, any other questions, thoughts, reflections? All right. Shall we look at some more ayahs? Let's look at some more ayahs. Once again, give me a nod, thumbs up, something. Yeah, excellent. So we left off at ayah 35. That was, for the most part, completing this other section about marital conflict. And again, one of the key themes to think about as we're reading through the entirety of the Quran. Where does it position itself? Does it position itself as a set of ideals, meaning things that cannot be reached? Is it positioning itself as on the ground or where? My suggestion for you is that it's positioning itself on the ground, yet we in our era very often don't live in the ground. That in our era, we often live in a realm of imagination. And a big reason for this is the sheer amount of media that we all consume, including the format of this class right now. It's happening by way of media, right? And so to make that point even a step further, think of 
when you are speaking to someone face to face that is still significantly different than we are speaking camera to camera for example i know that you only see this amount of my body you know that i only see however much of your body that affects your communication okay now think about how different it is if you are talking to someone on text you are speaking to your imagination when you're receiving the text when you're sending the text much of it is your imagination and so what i'm suggesting one of the elements of the era that we're in is so much of our human existence is in the realm of imagination imagination is part of the human experience no matter what era but what i'm saying is where america specifically you know is stronger than just about every country except maybe india is in the dominance of the imagination uh <clears throat> so when the quran is speaking i'm suggesting for your consideration that it's speaking on the ground about real humans and real human issues not with very much idealism but we're often existing in a realm of idealism and the difference between idealism and the realism is idealism is should or ought this is how people should be this is how people ought to be and the quran is saying here's how people are so think about that even in the difficult ayahs you know we had a number of difficult ayahs one is about uh inheritance another one is about uh marriage you know the polygamy thing another is about marital conflict and part of the reason that we struggle with them is is because of what they could potentially be saying which is in large part our wrestling with them is what we are considering about human nature that our struggles with those difficult ayahs sometimes is well what are other people going to say for this class i don't think that's really a, a difficult issue for most of you but um it's they're making statements about human nature the eyes are making very serious statements about human nature that are very difficult to swallow but we all know that many of the things that we see in human nature are also uh sometimes even worse than some of these ayahs but the point i'm making is that we often live in a realm of imagination and the ayahs are anchoring us another point is the ayahs also then have built into them a vision the example the simple example i gave is the eyes on inheritance are not giving us rules on how to spend our money they're giving us the last resort on how to spend our money your absolute final transaction is your inheritance right uh, it could be giving us a preference on how to raise our children in the sense that sons perhaps according to those eyes should be raised to be taught to be providers but that does not in any way negate how we you know you know raising our daughters to have the maximum of everything you know but also it's not telling us anything on how to spend our money while we are alive right so having said that looking at ayah 36 it's a new subsection but it's getting into some basics of belief and conduct number one so be the abd of Allah. So don't uh, associate partners with him in anything. Be good to your parents. 
and to those who are near you. The qurba, we might call them your inner circle. Wal-yatama, there they are again, the orphans. And the needy. And your neighbor. This we haven't talked about much. That in the narrations attributed to uh, uh, the prophet, peace be upon him, the prophet is literally saying that Jibril is, I'm paraphrasing, is Jibril has given me so many obligations to the neighbor that I thought I might also have to give them out of my inheritance. Malahat. Can you define the inner circle? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. So qurba primarily would be your relatives. So only relatives or this is like the close friends and some... So I think it would not exclude close friends. But imagine you have a blood relative you are not close to and a friend that you're very close to. Your obligations to your blood relative are still higher, generally speaking. Hmm. Make sense? Yeah. So, so, so where is where you put the? Okay, if this is qurba for relatives, the blood relatives, then where you put the friends? So this would be wasahib bil junub. Okay. So the companion by your side, who comes much later. Yeah. And so this is also interesting. This is the the uh, this is jari al qurba wal jari al junub. So. So this is basically neighbors near, neighbors far. So here we have some basics on how to live your deen. Worship Allah, associate nothing with Allah. Be good to your parents, your relatives, your orphans, the needy, your near neighbors, your far neighbors, and then your buddies. And then travelers. Okay. Travelers can be just about, so uh, uh, sabil. It never occurred to me until recently, travelers could also be refugees. You know, but it just might be somebody who's traveling. This is one of the interesting things about the evolution into the modern era when we we're speaking about like family breakdown and everything and everybody's alienated from everyone else. There was a time, and I think we all know this, where a traveler would knock on somebody's home, somebody's door and say, yeah, I'm a traveler. Can you feed me and give me a place to stay? And that was normal practice that a stranger would come over. You feed them and you give them a place to stay. And this is also in the story of Ibrahim when the angels came and they come and they visit him and he offers them food and they're like, we don't need any food. And then this is peculiar for him because they've been traveling. They should be famished. And they said, no, we're here to destroy that town. Well, we're also here to tell you you're going to have a son, Ishaq. But then we're also here to destroy that town. We're angels. Danya. Can you expand a little bit on what... It's meant by near and far neighbor. This seems there, strange. Yeah, there. I think. Um, uh, I think it's as as strict or as ambiguous as you would imagine it to be. So, near neighbor is probably the person who lives next to you. Far neighbor is probably people in your community. That would be how I would read this. Makes sense. So, near neighbor would be literally your next door neighbor, person on your street. Far neighbor would be essentially people that are kind of in the same world as you. Like your zip code. You know, my next door neighbors on my street versus people in Orland Park. The Palestinians. The Vites. You know. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of Palestinians here. Oh, and, you know, by the way, Noor here. She's part of the 847 
uh, zip code area code, but she married into the 708 area code. Greatest thing she's probably ever done. You know, the 708 husband is also there in that plaid red shirt. Okay, so so notice also that after worshiping Allah, we're not giving specifics specifics on how to worship Allah, but then be good, be good, be good, be good, be good, be good. And Allah does not like those, Allah does not love those who are proud and boastful. What is not in this ayah? Pray. Because very often you will have Wa'budullah and then but very frequently you'll find be good to people, be good to people, be good to people before prayer is being mentioned. And those of you who've taken the five o'clock class or who've done the beginning of the Quran class, you saw it right there, right? First command, our relationship with Allah. Second command, our relationship with Allah. Third command, the Jazakallah command, is our relationship with each other. Salah comes 80 ayahs some later. Hamid B from the 708 area code. Oh, we also have people from the 313, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Hamid. Uh, I was going to ask, could you say, well, you kind of answered it when you said that usually this first Wabudullah is mentioned with uh, establishing the prayer, etc. Yeah. But I was going to say, couldn't you kind of encompass all the acts of worship that Allah orders us within Wabudullah? I would say yes, but then that would also include everything else that's in this ayah. You know what I'm saying? So either we could read it as though the uh, the ibadah of Allah includes everything and Allah's emphasizing be good to everyone. Or worship Allah, don't associate anything with him. That's the principle, your disposition. And then be good to everyone. I think both of those readings would work. Make sense? Yes. Inshallah. Can I ask a follow-up question to Danya? So when we read the the ayah, do we read it with the context of like what was um written or like what we read before it? Or because I mean I feel like this would mean something different if you know you've read Surah Al-Baqarah already, then you have like more context about like what Abdullah means. Um, but if you just read this as its sole ayah, it, might mean something different. You can take Wabudullah to mean just worship your Lord in whatever capacity. So I would say yes to all of the different variations. In our search for meaning, one approach is to read the ayah on its own. Another approach is to read the ayah in relationship, whatever comes before and after it in the surah itself. Another is to look at its relationship with everything else in the Quran. Yeah. And then adding to that the sunnah and all those things, but just speaking within the Quran, yes to all these different approaches. Make sense? So, and then when you come to a meaning and interpretation, you hold it as a thesis, not a conclusion. And then you hold on to the thesis as you go through the text, either confirming, modifying, re uh, refuting your thesis. Make sense? So. And so what I think about that, I'm saying that there is a, a discernible wisdom of the Quran in the order that it is laid out. And then on top of that, <clears throat> every ayah is an ayah of Allah. So, 
Makes sense. Yeah, sure. And Serena's saying, could it also say that praying alone is not enough if you are a POS to people? <laughs> we want to find what POS means, you know, post of service or something. And so uh, possibly that works. And so same point, hold on to it as a thesis and see if you can find other support as you go through the text. Point of sale, exactly. Yeah. So the next ayah. So at the end of the ayahs, Allah does not love those people who are proud, who are boastful, and then it continues, who are stingy and push others to stinginess and conceal what Allah has given out of his bounty. We have prepared for the kafirs a humiliating torment. So if I am stingy, and then right after that it says kafirs, how do we make sense? Does this mean I'm a coffer? Or what is it saying about me? That Allah does not love those people who are proud, stingy, or proud, boastful. And then on top of that, stingy. And then I call others to stinginess. And to hide whatever Allah has given them. Does that make me a kafir or what would be the connection? Hurram. I believe it is not, could not be a kafir in terms of theology that you're rejecting God, but but in terms of that, what, what God has given you and, and you are hiding, could it be? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Amin. Uh, I was thinking perhaps these are attributes of uh, disbelievers. So it doesn't necessarily mean if you have these, you are a disbeliever, but these are very common attributes that are associated with uh, with disbelievers. Yeah, I'd say exactly both of your points. That <clears throat> that uh, Hurum's point, it doesn't mean theologically that I'm a disbeliever, but I might be heading in that direction. And then Hamid's point it doesn't mean I'm a disbeliever, but these are the behaviors of a, of a of a rejecter, of a kafir. And so notice what's being shown here, that the behavior of a believer is one who is upright with people. And the behavior of a kafir is one who is the opposite. This hasan behavior, this ahsan better behavior, what is it essentially? It's generosity. And so what is the reverse behavior? It's not only to be stingy, but to push others to be stingy and then to hide that you have anything to give. I mean, you're not obviously supposed to be flaunting your wealth or anything, but you reach the point that you lie. Hamid. I was actually going to ask about that um, uh, concealing the bounty of Allah. So I know on one hand, you're not supposed to show off. But then on the other hand, you're not supposed to pretend like Allah has not blessed you and just complain all the time. But you just mentioned at the end there, like you're not supposed to lie. But like, for example, what if someone, it's a matter of like privacy, like they don't want people to know they have XYZ. So perhaps they will not be super honest about it. You know, like where's where's the balance? I think uh, intuitively, you know, the balance. And I think you're sort of illustrating it, right? Okay, so 
Uh, oh, first, to bring to your question, stingy is not the same as frugal. Stingy is more like ultra cheap. Whereas frugal is like you're kind of wise uh, with your money. You try not to spend it if you don't need to. Let me know if that makes sense. So, so a way to think about it is when is it a lie when I just don't want to give? Right. But case by case basis, uh, it might be better that people don't know that I have any money. You know, uh, it might be better that I hide my wealth so I don't, so it, people don't get jealous or so people don't steal it. You know, I think intuitively we know like where the balance is. If we try to give it actual boundaries, then it's, it's, uh, it's asking for exceptions and such, you know, but it is a teaching that if Allah has given you of his bounty, that a way of gratitude is to share or to show, right? That you don't dress like you're broke because that can also be a da'wa. How can it be a da'wa if Allah has given me wealth so I dress well and I live well, you know, from socioeconomic standards? What do you all think? Because one of my favorite things about the super sahaba is Uthman, Abu Bakr, lived wealthy, died poor, died broke, right? He gave away everything. Omar, lived poor, died poor. Ali, lived poor, died poor. Uthman, lived rich, died rich. Danya. I think it's that idea of like that influencer energy that we see so often like now in, on social media that yeah. they lead a certain life and you want to emulate that, that, that life. So if you just even in a glance kind of see this person who lives a good life, looks well, acts a certain way, I think you'd be influenced if you knew that they are Muslim or are very like active in their um community of their like religious community you'd be influenced even mm -hmm. if you at least you'd be interested and Absolutely. want to know more about them mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly it and you might also be speaking to a specific class of people too so the laity might give you attention so you're doing it for that what purposes but if you're of a specific social class of people and you're seeking to call those people uh, they're expecting a certain appearance a certain type of language like when I'm teaching uh, students that are 60-year-olds and they live in places like Kenilworth, those of you who don't know Kenilworth in Chicago, it's like the highest per capita income. And these upper crust places, my whole clothes and vocabulary is different than when I'm talking to undergrads. Right? Uh, because there's a certain expectation they have for which if I don't fulfill it, they can't hear what I'm saying. All they otherwise hear is a brown guy. Right? Ahmed and then Malahat. Uh, that kind of reminds me of, I don't know if it's a hadith or just this, I think it's a hadith, and I don't remember it exactly, so just paraphrasing, something along the lines of um, some people, Allah gives them poverty because if they were rich, you know, they would disbelieve, and then vice versa, yes. so it kind of shows that in Islam, you don't need to be poor, for example, or you don't need to be rich, so some people, like you were just saying, like, they need to see that wealth in order to accept Islam. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And another way to think about it is, especially in our influencer era, uh, you know, uh, DJ Khalid 
went on Umrah. Okay. And that was all over social media. Okay. The other 10,000 random nobodies who might be higher with Allah, you know, if they were like, hey, I went on Umrah, no one's going to care. Right. But it, DJ Khaled, of all people going on Umrah, might inspire other people to go on Umrah. That's the reality. Right. Malahat. So this influencing and information sharing is, is a pretty new phenomenon, right? It's after 19th century. Before that, it's like people are knowledgeable, but now our people are well-informed, right? Exactly. So I think that's, that's, that's I'm just thinking about what Dani was asking the question earlier. So I think like the influence and this, you know, this, if you have more information nowadays, then you're successful. But but you know this this whole debate about the changing the information into the knowledge has been it's become gone right we we don't we don't talk about it um, similar like we just have like this class we have a tadabbur right but even for the religious authorities they kind of like divide into like there's one one portion they just do tafsir and and the one portion is just do tadabbur there's no crossroad right for both of them Okay, so first part of your question, I'd say the influencer thing has always been around. And the easiest example of that is Abbasawatawalla, right? Where the Prophet, peace be upon him, is talking to the wealthy guy, um, hoping to get that person's intention, hoping that there's, that person becomes Muslim, while the blind man, Abdullah bin Maktoud, is trying to get Maktoum is trying to get his attention, right? So he's trying to get the intention of someone who is influential with uh, the hope that other people also do. Um, and so that I think is definitely throughout all human history. How people have influenced today, yeah, there's all kinds of different ways to have influence today that are brand new. Whereas before it's basically age, you know, physical wealth, material wealth, the wealth is often related to land, um, you know, ownership and things like that. And today you can just be a big joker on the screen and get a following as part your tafsir the double thing that i didn't understand that point though can you explain that more so uh, yeah i i can uh, but i i need to answer for the first one also yeah. but for the second one is that the tadabur is like the people who just do tadabur they actually go beyond that tafsir portion right like here sure. we are just talking about we're just talking about like real problem but but the people who go for tafsir and they just actually just go and follow a school of thought and very hard to like very hard for the first very hard to talk to them and second is very hard to deviate them or change their mindset into the something else mm -hmm. that's what yeah. i mean but you know this like there should be some sort of like interaction between these two mm -hmm. thought process i was hoping for so before okay. you answer that i just want to go for the first one yeah i mean before I was just reading recently that, you know, before 19th century, the clergy, the religious authority hold the knowledge, right? And then yes. there's a big movement came. And then, you know, there's, I don't know the name of the philosopher, like Fried or someone. I mean, th these people came and they have like this whole thing that, you know, the knowledge information should be open. And then we get into the information era. But now the information is everybody's well informed. Like we have this immense amount of information available as, as you talked about it earlier, right? Yeah. Are, are we changing that information into the knowledge? No. Knowledgeable or no. we are well-informed? Yeah, I think uh, 
uh, even Shayla made this point a couple classes ago. Yeah, that it's it's a lot of information as opposed to not a lot of knowledge. And my 20 year olds are perfect examples of that. Like the religious ones are super knowledgeable, quoting Hadith left and right, quoting random scholars, this and that, and their source materials videos. And uh, but they their knowledge is all this big mess in their head and their conduct often shows it, you know. And so, yeah, I would uh, I would agree with you on the, on the fundamental difference of the era. Um, did we answer all the points? No, the second one, the Tadabur and the Tafnid. Yeah, so there, I think one big difference is people who don't work on the ground in the community, they remain in the ivory tower of the Dean. And so they will be in the Tafnid, the Tafsir realm. If you're on the ground dealing with real human issues, and everything is a complex issue, you know, uh, easy answers don't work. And that's where you almost need the Dabur. And so that's a way for the conversation to happen. I'll give you an example. Right now, um, uh, there's a, uh, you know, there's a, a group in Chicago that is run by Deobandi scholars that is trying to provide a forum for people who feel disconnected to the dean from the dean to connect to the dean. And some people spread bad rumors about them. So there's another group of Deobandi scholars who've been going on the attack against them. Welcome to the AWS Certified Data Analytics Specialty for 2000. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Multitasking, mashallah. No, it's not. It's just the second piece you started. And I can fair enough. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. So, anyway, so I'm the author of several books from. So, this first group is big, young ish Deobandi scholars trying to reach out and give space to people who are disconnected, which means they're not being very strict on matters of hijab, matters of separation of men and women and all that. This other group uh, has their mothers are going, and they've been very vocally publicly on the attack against the first group. And the difference is if really easy, the people of the first group, those are all people who work on the ground. Uh, I'm saying I know all them. And the people who are attacking them, they're all people who stay inside the masjid inside the madrasa, and at most, the only time they live is to give speeches. And so that's what I'm saying. The actual difference is either you're working on the ground, and if you're not working on the ground, then you're living, then Islam is in your imagination. So so you're saying that the people who, who are like pretty much academic or just uh, in the madrasa or in the in, in taqlid, they, they are not, they are completely disconnected from the social work? Yes. They are. Yeah. Or majority of them or most yes. of them? Majority of them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but those who are on the ground, completely different conversation, completely different understanding of everything. So that, that made the, the Ikna very successful then, right? And Ayana is very unsuccessful. I mean, I can't, I can't speak to what Ayana has been doing lately. I don't really know. But, uh, but Ikna is very successful because they completely... You know, get into the social fabric of the issues and everything else, right? Maybe. I mean, I haven't paid as much attention lately, but the point is still the same. So. Hmm. Yeah. Sadia. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, we were talking about influencers and you mentioned that it dates back to, you know, the old days. Um, it just reminded me of this first person who the Prophet Muhammad wasallam sent to Medina. Musab. Musab bin Umar. Was he the one or there was another one who, um, I think he was pretty, uh, he had a lot of influence because they, um, they actually came to, you know what? I started the story and <laughs> I can't recall it fully. That's me. Um, sorry about that. But but what I remember from the story is that he chose these influencers from the youth who went to Medina and gave dawah. Basically, yeah. that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, and we see this as a repeated pattern, even when he was sending uh, Muslims to Abyssinia. He also had, you know, some of the sharper people uh, in charge of the group who would be speaking to a Najashi and such. Right. Yeah. And then my second point was that, um, is this ayah only talking about like material wealth or is it also implying stinginess about other things that God has given us? Like what would be an example? Other qualities. Um being forgiving to people or being i mean because that's part of generosity love care mm. um uh you know things like that you know those those are some of the blessings that god has given you as your positive attributes so don't I, be stingy yeah. in 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 showing those or using those i suspect that would probably work very well yeah uh in terms of what's uh what's there except uh, I'm cautious about the connection to kufr. If someone is not forgiving, related mm -hmm. to Khurram's point, maybe they still might be on the path to kufr. Like if I don't forgive anyone for anything, uh, then that could be something very similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, it seems like it makes sense, inshallah. Thank you. So, inshallah. And then, at another dimension, these are the stingy people, but they only give and maybe even to the point of exhaustion to be seen by other people. So I think this all is very, very clear, right? This is not a good quality. What if I am giving to be seen by people to inspire people? Is that okay? Good, bad? Sadia. If the intention is to inspire people, sure. Mm -hmm. But if it's to show off, then of course not. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And we have examples of this, right? This is again the famous case of you know the fundraiser hadith that Ahmad decided he was going to give half of his wealth, which means we know because of the narration that he made it public. And then we know that when he arrived, Abu Bakr had already given all of his wealth. So that was made public. Abu Bakr had made it public or the Prophet, peace upon him, made it public. And so the point is, if the super companions are making it public, then it is perhaps for purposes of inspiration and competition. Then, of course, we have people like Imam Zainal Abidin. And how many rakats did he do a day? A thousand? And then he fed like a hundred families every night while being poor. And then this was discovered after he had died. 
and those families were coming forth asking, you know, what happened to that person? Yeah. So there's that too. Hamid. Uh, a question about the, the person you just mentioned and kind of something I wondered even with the Prophet Sarasa, how is it that someone can be poor or have nothing, but then they're so generous? Like, like where, where are they giving from? Like, how do you feed 100 people if you don't have anything? Uh, probably farming of some form, you know. Uh, I mean, the prophet would give until he ran out, and then he would say, I don't have anything left, right? Uh, and it is probable with the faith level of Imam Zain al-Abideen uh, that he had the trust in Allah that he would find the nourishment for people. Yeah. Uh, make sense? I mean, I think that would uh, his story is not so much the generosity, but his iman that was related to his generosity. Not unlike the case of Maryam salam and Zakaria, prophet would come to her with food and she already has food. Where did it come from? Allah gave it to me. Make sense? Yes. Yeah, in this class today, where it looks like we're all going full Sufi today. Any other thoughts, reflections? So those who spend of their wealth to be seen by the people and do not believe in Allah, nor in the last day, for them, shaitan is their buddy. Yeah. And he's an evil companion. Again, straightforward for our purposes. How do we connect this whole section to the section that came before it? The section that came before it was about marital conflict. And, you know, men are the blank blank for women, the kawams for women. What would be the relationship? Hamid. Well, I guess it would be a problem if you... Um... If you're stingy and boastful and self-deluding to your spouse. So we're getting some character attributes that might be exacerbating problems in the house. Because the first instruction here is be good, be good, be good, be good. Didn't mention your spouse, but that would perhaps be included in your urba. Danya, I think I finally just literally pronounced your name properly. You did. did just like my parents, it's kind of scary. Yeah, mashallah. Should I should I add a little tone of like anger if it was like my parents talking to me or like your parents are probably like, Daniel, we're so proud of you. You know, anyway, continue. Most of the time it's fine, but sometimes there's like a tinge of disappointment. It kills me. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't give my parents a tinge of disappointment. It's just a waterfall. But anyway, continue. Um, I was going to say, I like that it's like a reinforcer of everything that we just read about so like you know again getting back to the root you know clear and then like be kind be kind be kind to all of these people and i'm sure like spouses included with mm -hmm. um and then it's almost like also like let's say you did um falter or let's say you did like not um not up to par in terms of like that relationship there are think like being kind inshallah is some way to sort of like make up for it um or like just calling your attention to it maybe and then again like bringing up the um 
people who are stingy, you can also be stingy in a relationship. Um, people who are like spending their wealth to show offs and not like supporting their spouse. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that can we can come out of it. And then kind of relating that to being a disbeliever and then relating that also to being a friend of the shaitan. I think these are all like reinforcers of everything we just talked about. Absolutely. And so if we review going back to the beginning of the surah, right? Have taqwa, have taqwa. You know, he created you all from one. Look at your families. And then we spoke about the orphans. And then we spoke about orphan girls, the most vulnerable in a society, and speaking about marriage, okay? and giving uh, women their marriage gift, and then taking care of the weak-minded. Don't just give them your, your wealth, but take care of them. And then more about orphans and such. And then ultimately, you should regard orphans the way you regard your own child and be kind the way you speak to people. Do not devour the wealth of orphans. And then we have the inheritance. And then we have, after that, we have marital conflict and such, right? So I mentioned way at the beginning of the class, if we rename the surah, family and community, the surah makes much more sense in terms of the title. The purpose of the names of the surahs is identification rather than summary. And we can even simplify it further, upright character with family and society. That's basically a summary of the whole surah, which we'll also talk about war later on. But yeah, Hurram and then Shela. Osadi, I think you had raised your hand, and then the hand went down. Actually, yeah. she covered, she covered the point that I was going okay. to make. So, yeah. Very nice, So, yeah, summarizing the same points that are discussed. That uh, so, uh, so before uh, this, these ayahs, um, we have a lot of difficult things that we have discussed. Right, the relationship with all the category of people, which is difficult relationships. Dealing with uh, with the uh, 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 and and the marital relationship, and then before dealing with the different category of complex relationship. So so this portion like suggests that okay, that could be much easier to deal with if you develop certain sort of characters or yes. behavior or those sort of things that no stinginess generosity these things if you develop so it will be much easier to deal with those yes. complex things because you you may be run into those things those cannot be avoidable absolutely yeah because we did have that line yesterday right in the other aya uh that the nafs tends to be very greedy yeah shela so i think um i like that we're thinking about this in the big picture now um and don't mind my cat she just has a very annoying meow you'll hear her uh, I, I thought it was a human child but that's okay yeah <laughs> i'm just ignoring my babies <laughs> um so um i think that this is a good reminder of like you know these ayahs when we read these the ones that we just discussed like i feel like they'll resonate with all people of all times and we don't really, you know, debate the goodness that's that's in here, right? Um, and then when we put in a bigger context, like you know, going back to 
for example, and there's some others too, but like the inheritance, um, Aya, like, you know, we should see this as like, and I know I asked, I kind of asked this before, like, why not interpret this in the context of that time and say like, you know, this was a good thing that was brought to say like women can have half of what men have. Like that was something, right? And like, I still don't think that we need to be stuck in the past and stick to, you know, details that are not relevant in this age today because Allah wants us to use our brains and wants us to see the good that he meant for those people at that time and extrapolate from that and see that as a trajectory and continue on that path and incorporate it into all the beautiful other ayahs that, you know, resonate with us as well and not just, you know, ignore it or say it's, you know, oh, only for people past really understand it in the context and then apply it in our life today and say how can we you know what how can we interpret this differently in our world that are interpreting this like for today's society given that for instance men are not always the caretakers of women and providers of women you know given that this is for this in a modern way and what trajectory, like looking at this as a more of a trajectory, where are we now? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because this is kind of, oh, you're, I, uh, I feel like the interpretation provided, sorry. Oh, you're, oh, Shelly, you're breaking kind of breaking up. up. Yeah. Oh, um, how about now? I'll get a little closer to that. Um, I was going to say that like, I guess, that seemed to be when you said that all of the scholars, for instance, I'm just. You're breaking up again. Uh, that that was far. That the, oh, okay. I've got router problems. How about now? How about here? Let's try. So, okay. Um, okay. Um, was going to say that it sounded like the scholars all agreed that for instance that was is something that is not going to change over time correct yeah that seems to be the case with those eyes yeah mm-hmm. yeah so then we're stuck kind of saying like well this just doesn't make sense for us in this time and then what do you do with it mm-hmm. these are big important questions yeah. what else any other thoughts questions reflections on anything else in our final minutes and seconds of class nothing else okay break a fast and sleep here all righty then so hopefully you all found the exploration of this sura we made it through uh what we say perhaps like a a sixth of the surah, maybe a little bit less. Yeah, Hamid. You should leave us with some parting advice. Okay, I mean, the a parting advice I left the other group was to do tahajjud on the night before Eid, because that's one of the... So, okay, so the hadith, the really cool hadith about tahajjud is that uh, this is narrated by Anas bin Malik. Some of you heard it from me, because I always narrate it, that the... Um, if you pray two rakats in the masjid of the Prophet, peace be upon him, it's equal to a hundred thousand of your normal prayers. If you pray two rakats uh, in front of the Kaaba at the Haram, it is two hundred thousand. 
of your normal prayers. If you pray on the battlefield, it is a million of your normal prayers. And more valuable than all of those is the prayer that you do in the middle of the night in your home. But that the hajjud on the night before Eid is even higher. Uh, and it makes sense, right? That's the night everyone's going to sleep. And so, so I highly encourage in these final nights of Ramadan, it's very easy, and I do this as much as everyone, to think, okay, we're almost there, we're almost there, we're almost there. But also, the Ramadan is literally my most favorite time of the whole month, a whole year, because that's the, the time that my mind is the most clear. And it's because of all the things involved with Ramadan, fasting, shaitan locked up, all that stuff. So for me, and I think all of us feel different levels of the same thing, that the end of Ramadan is also a period of sadness. And I think the construction of the acts of worship is also by design, that if we did not have Eid, the whole Ummah would probably fall into sadness and depression. And then on top of that, what else are you supposed to do on Eid? Right before prayers, you're supposed to give charity, Zakat al-Fitr. And that, I think, also, aside from the benefit of it, is also to help your heart. And on top of that, in many of our back-home cultures, what do they make uh, for, like, breakfast uh, on Eid day? Right, some some shir chorma vermicelli uh, uh, type thing, savaya, uh, and that is literally stated by the prophet peace be upon him as something that fights off sadness. It's literally a triple attack against sadness. Uh, what is done on Eid day, and and so jump in, but especially try to do tahajjud. In terms of Quran and everything, uh, I mean that's all pretty straightforward. Continue to keep engaging with the text, exploring the text with the intention of having love for the recipient of the text and the author of the text, inshallah. And then that will be of benefit to everyone. And for whatever you feel you owe me, just pay it forward, and then I'll cash in on that on the Day of Judgment. I mean that in all uh, seriousness. People are always like, you know, do you charge? I'll tell them, you know, you can give charity in my name or pay it forward. Then Also because usually that type of money just flies away. You know. So... May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, may Allah reward you for uh, a wonderful class, inshallah. Uh, and I appreciate, I hope all of you felt completely uh, comfortable in raising all of your questions and contentions and all of that stuff. And I learn as much as everyone else. Uh, and let's see, should we hope an announcement for faith foundations? Let me let me think about it. Uh, thank you. If I can fall asleep, we'll keep you in touch with the night of Eid. Yeah, and yes, may Allah reward you all. I mean, I mean. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May these final hours and days of Ramadan also be full of all kinds of fruits in this dunya and in akhirah for all of you and for me and all of our families. Okay, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.